Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood. Ken Graves left his home when he was just 16 years old to pursue training in ministry. By the time he was 22, he was led by God to return to his hometown to present the gospel and to build a church. That church has now grown into a healthy body of believers and church plants. Today, Ken Graves is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. He's also an international speaker, spending much of his time speaking at conferences. And it was one of those conferences where Kirk Cameron approached Pastor Graves and asked him if he would be part of his documentary, Connect. Today on Connections, Pastor Ken Graves will share his story. He'll talk about what led him into ministry, and he'll also share about his experience working with Kirk Cameron. Today's guest is Ken Graves. He is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. Ken, we want to learn more about you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you landed in the world of ministry? Oh, my goodness. That's kind of a long story. That's okay. I lived a long time. <laughs> I'll try to, let me summarize it. I, I was a, a poor, fatherless kid from rural Maine, and the misery of my childhood was such that it caused me to ask very young, why am I alive? What's the point? And the despair and all of that is part of what God used to drive me to his word. And um, I wanted answers. And with no dad, I didn't have anybody to ask. I wanted to know where I came from. Where am I going and why am I alive? And that longing for those answers is what ultimately drove me to, to uh, read the Bible. And it was reading the word at the age of 13 that I really came to know Christ. And... And coming to know Christ, and to me, uh, being called to serve him and, and to ministry was all one event, one very dramatic, very emotional event for me as, as a young kid. Three years later, ambitious and convinced that the world was going to end soon and the Lord was going to come back, and I needed to get busy. I quit high school. I just left high school. I recognized there wasn't anything on the curriculum that was relevant to what I believed God was calling me to do. I got a high school equivalency diploma and went off to pursue ministry and um, was trained in ministry, working with drug addicts and, and uh, people with life-controlling problems residentially. did that until I was, in fact, I, I was in full-time ministry at the age of 17 and um, 20 years old when I left that ministry. And a few years after that, I back here in the state of Maine, I started uh, the church that I've been pastoring now for 30, I don't know, 35 years. What was it? In, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's, the, that's the short, that's the short version. That's the summarized version. What was it like to to be in ministry at such a young age? You don't typically see someone in in that world at 17. You know what? I, I have made the observation that the modern world postpones um, adulthood. We, um, we, we used to have rites of passage. Uh, you know, in, in biblical uh, culture, uh, a young man or a young woman would have an event. They would have um, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah for the girl. Bar mitzvah just means son of the commandments. You would come to a point where you demonstrated to your father that you knew the requirements of God, and then you became directly answerable to God. And that was the whole concept of the bar mitzvah. And I must say that, at least my experience, not having an earthly dad, but coming into a relationship with my heavenly father, who provided for me sort of rites of passage, 
but also, I guess, you know, having the kind of childhood, the poverty, the danger, all of the, the misery of that childhood, I kind of accelerated out of being a kid as early as I possibly could. But I, I think that when you look back historically, back in history, some of our, our here in America, some of our nation's founders were ambassadors at 14. They were uh, representing the nation to other nations, and uh, or you know on on a on a on a ship. When they were talking about Great Britain, or or um, you know, think about the, the the British fleet would have officers that were 15 years old that commanded a whole portion of of that um, that vessel full of men. And so my at least my experience was that coming to the place of understanding what life was about uh, very young, and I. I I was, uh, you know, the other thing was my voice has always been like this. Oh, wow. <laughs> and if people didn't ask how old I was, they just assumed that I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. So I was 17 years old, um, you know, running uh, work crews and working with grown men out of prison and uh, in jails and addicts. And as long as I didn't tell them I was 17, nobody knew. Did, did they ever look down and look at you and go, who is this guy? What does this guy think he's doing with me? No. Honestly, no. I, I, I guess I, that was not my experience. I think I've always been old. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the church that you founded and, and how that all came to be, because you felt a calling to go back after all of this and and create this church. I knew, well, I should tell you that I was very uh, ambitious as a young Christian as a young preacher, I wanted to be a big shot. I wanted to be famous for God. I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be a big deal. And and the state I grew up in is a small population. It's a very rural state. There's a lot more forest than anything else. And I knew God had called me back there because it's exactly the opposite of what my sort of my flesh and my ambition wanted. I knew it was God who put a great sense of responsibility in my heart. To return to where I came from, to offer to them what I had received, but it was um, it was also necessary for my ambition to die. It, it is, uh, it, you know, when you look at the scriptures, the life stories of those characters in the Bible, whose life stories were given, people like David or Joseph, Moses, Abraham, all of those men experienced promise from God and a promise that you know, caused a dream to be born. Long before that dream was realized, that promise dies. The, the hope, the dream dies. God will make a promise to an old man about giving him a son and let him, let him get 25 years older before that son of promise comes. Oh, David, anointed as king, as a team, and experiencing the victory over Goliath, but then he has to suffer. He's got to go through all those years in exile, have his heart broken and and uh, likewise with Joseph, he suffers slavery and, and prison long before his dreams of his brothers actually recognizing him as their hero uh, ever realized. And so it was with me as a young preacher coming back here to the state of Maine and establishing a church and just talking, teaching the few and uh, being content to just stay in one place and take the uh, responsibility for people. The, the gig that appealed to me as a young preacher, I saw these guys that itinerated, preachers that kind of, they blew in, blew up, and blew out. They didn't um, stick around and have to take responsibility for people, go through the seasons of life with people. 
Well, that was very appealing to me, but that's not what God called me to do. He called me to come back here and just um, initially get a job, put myself on the, the end of a chainsaw, paying the bills and become part of the community. And from that place, teach the Bible and invite people to studies. And those studies ultimately grew and the church came out of all of that. And you managed to go from just 12, a regular 12, all the way to 1,500 people now. Yeah, it, it does fluctuate <laughs> seasonally up here in the state of Maine. A lot of people head south for the summer, and our church attendance, it, it fluctuates. But, but we have been blessed in a, in, to be a, a, a very large church in a, in a small town, a town of about 4,000. Um, you know, we, we're grateful for the witness of the, what the Lord has done at our church. And we've planted churches. We've done all we can to get rid of people. We're not trying to collect them all. We've um, planted churches in every direction and sent, trained other men and women out and, and um, sent teams. And so we're very grateful that despite all the sending, we still have so many that have stuck around. And you, you almost have half the population of, of uh, Bangor. Well, well, Bangor is about 35,000. We're just a little okay. ways from Bangor. Okay. <laughs> That's a little so bit Bang- different. Bangor to us is the metropolis. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about the community than uh, where the church is located. Well, the, it, you know, it's kind of like there are two versions of the state of Maine. Um, in some ways, I suppose Maine has some things in common with uh, some of the Caribbean islands. That um, along our shoreline, there is a lot of wealth. Along that, you know, the whole Hollywood crowd—they've all got their summer homes on our on our coast. But then behind all of that wealth, there's just a relatively uh, poor, hard-working population that that uh, they can't afford the shoreline. You know, the property values uh, from from you know Hollywood, Los Angeles, have driven the price of our coastline up to where the average Mainer can't afford afford that, and they just it's a it's a poor state, and people work hard to uh, to get by. And so that, that is the part of Maine where we are, inlands, where, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it has very distinct seasons. You understand that being from Canada. Yes, have, very um, much so. <laughs> we, don't, we don't just have winter. We have spring, we have summer, fall, and then we have winter, and then we have this other thing we call still winter. <laughs> and um, it just goes on and on. You know how it is. Yes, we do. That, that is my Maine. <laughs> <clears throat> that is the main that I am part of. What's the main I grew up in, and the part that God has given me a sense of responsibility for. And what's been the best part about that responsibility? I have been blessed that what seemed, I, I can remember being a young man longing for adventure, and uh, when I when I first became conscious that God was calling me to ministry, my mental picture was so boring that I, I. You know, I shrank back from it. But then just, you know, the Lord gave me that, that call. I couldn't deny it. I answered it. And it has been an amazing adventure. And the opportunity to play a part in people's lives, and especially the opportunity to, in a, in a small community, be a witness through the decades, and then pray over little ones that parents come and say, could we dedicate this child to the Lord? And we would do that. And then those children growing up and marrying and coming to me with their children, sticking around long enough 
to see the seasons of life, to see the the advantage. You know, the, God sets before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And to see those people that have chosen life and blessing and to watch that blessing happen into the next generation, that has been the greatest joy and unexpected sort of, I, I, I guess, ambushed by how much joy that would bring to my heart to, to see people actually applying the Word of God and then reaping the benefits in their life and their family and their children. Throughout this entire journey, is there something that stands out, really, that just stays in your heart all the time? Well, looking for one, that's difficult. I, I, I've had so many. It's been, I know I sound older than the 57 years that I've lived, but I, there have been so many seasons that have come and gone. You know what? One of the high points of my life, believe it or not, was when I was in my early 40s and I was empty nest. And my daughter, my wife and I have one daughter, and she was she left our home to go to Bible college. And I knew that when she left, that, that was it. That my being a dad was done. And I didn't want it to be done. And I, uh, I, I longed for more. I wanted to father more. And you know, the Lord did miracles and brought to, to my wife and I, my, my son Benjamin, who's now 13. And... Uh, there was a young lady that was in our women's home. We, we worked with drug addicts and, and um, people with life-controlling problems residentially. And um, there was a young lady at the time. She was 19 years old, and she was committed. Uh, she was pregnant and committed to giving her child up for adoption and was talking with counselors while she was in our, our women's home and seeking God, trying to prayerfully. She wanted to give more to her baby than she had to give and ultimately you know going through that whole process we weren't on the list my wife and i were just busy about our father's business and we were in fact empty nest when we were approached to adopt this child and i'm going to tell you that that adoption that event the receiving of my son benjamin was one of the most significant things that i think happened in all these years of ministry and honestly, didn't do it for anything, any other reason than I, I just had so much love to give. And we wanted, we wanted to, to share. We wanted to share that, and I think that's the only right reason to want to be a parent. You know, not trying to reproduce people to do chores. <laughs> we, we we just wanted to offer what we had and uh, love and guidance. And honestly, the last thirteen years, of, and I, I I love all my kids, but that that particular event stands out to me that I didn't realize what a statement it was. I didn't realize how much just adopting uh, even the lost world looking on, even the the most pro-abortion uh, godless thinker is impressed when someone takes the responsibility for a child that they did not procreate. I, I've been amazed at how that has affected my standing in the community or, or the way even the lost people have uh, perceived me. Anyway, I wasn't motivated by any of that, but that was a surprise. That was sort of a byproduct. But being able to be a dad again and answer the questions for a boy who was on his way to becoming a man, and those questions that, that burned in my heart. Where did I come from? Where am I going? And why am I here? 
honestly, the greatest joy of being a pastor has been able to just provide those answers from the Word. What amazes me the most about you two is you didn't have that growing up. You didn't receive that from your own home, and it's amazing how you were still able to give that back to your own kids. You know, I, I honestly think that there are a lot of people that say things today. It's kind of common for people to say, well, I have a hard time relating to God as our Father in Heaven. I didn't have a good Father, and therefore, you know, I just I don't like... And, and there are people who are trying to reinvent who God is, which is, which is great sin. But the fact is, even the person that doesn't have a dad or didn't have a good one or a good relationship with them still knows in their heart what they wish their father had been. That's the very thing they're judging their father by. There's a standard in everyone's heart, an ideal. And um, I have discovered God to be everything that we all wish an earthly father could be. And uh, I think that there's a there's an undeniable longing in our cultures and American and Canada, the West in general, as the families have, in fact, broken down, and uh, there are so many now who grow up fatherless, that uh, there's a longing that can only be realized, even if you have the greatest dad on earth. There's a longing that can only be realized in a right relationship with the one who created us. And the answer to all the questions uh, are all part of his revelation to us. It's his joy to Make those things known. And speaking of that area, you uh, did a documentary with Kirk Cameron. First of all, we want to know how you connected with Kirk, and then we want to hear a little bit more about the documentary. (laughs) Well, you know, interestingly, I'm just kind of up here in this little corner of the continent, minding my father's business. But over the years, the last two and a half decades, somehow or another, my name got out there as somebody who ought to have come and speak to your men. I've done men's conferences almost every weekend for the last couple of decades of my life. Almost every Friday morning, I'm getting on a plane to go somewhere and speak to men about, believe it or not, my, my message to men is about Christ, the man of all men. It's not really focused on men or manhood as much as it is focused on the ultimate, the God-man, the bridge between God and man. He is the standard. Anyway, so I'm doing that, and in the course of doing that, other doors open. I do my best and usually make it back here to this little corner of the country before Sunday morning comes. Almost every Friday uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, I'm somewhere preaching. And when I go all the way on the other side of the Rocky Mountains, there's no getting back for Sunday, and it was out there that Kirk Cameron had come and heard me preach. And out of that, he reached out to me and just said, I want to, want to be friends. What do you think? I said, I'd love to be friends with you. <laughs> and it was it was that. We, he invited me to come out and, and uh, buy me a plane ticket, which was very generous of him to come out and let's just go for a hike. Do you need a hike? I said, well, I spent all kinds of time out in the woods. Let's, let's go hike. So we shared a hike together. And on that hike, we talked about everything in the world. It was that kind of a, that kind of a visit where by the end of a hike, you truly know someone. And it was out of that how our, our friendship began that he asked me to participate in that uh, documentary. And I think I think it was only asked because I'm just a pastor in a little country church. And he just wanted a spiritual perspective on the, the issues that they were dealing with in that particular documentary. Tell us what that experience was like. 
Well, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, a little different for me. I, you know, it was, it was, but Kirk, it, Kirk's got a gift of, of um, a gift to just, I, I think, create comfort. Let's just sit down and let's have a, a truly casual conversation and pay no attention to the fact that there are cameras on. And that experience, you know, I landed in Los Angeles. He picked me up and, and we, uh, we drove to a church. It's not my, it's not, not the church I pastor. It's a little church that they rented, but it's a traditional little church house. And we walked in, the cameras were set up and we just sat down and fellowships. Really, we just sat down and visited. And out of that, they selected whatever, um, you know, video cuts were relevant to, uh, to the documentary. But it was really, honestly, it was just a quality visit with a good brother. Uh, which it's, it looked like you had a very comfortable conversation with him. And, and speaking about the topic that you guys discussed, you've discussed technology, how it's affecting families. What are your thoughts on that? It is concerning because it is the influence. The entire world is able to fit through the eyeball. It, it is the, uh, the eye gate of a, a younger generation that's, so much information is flowing, and so much of the information is wrong. It is seductive and, and, and intensely untrue. And it is, I, I was glad that Kurt was wanting to address the, really, what he was dealing with was a stewardship issue, that as parents, we have to be the guard. We've got to be like the Lord Jesus said as the Good Shepherd. He said, I'm the door. Nobody comes into the sheep except through me. And that is the deal with the shepherd. The shepherd is the door. Any access to the sheep is going to be through the shepherd. And it must be that way with, with fathers and mothers. We must be the door. And it is, it's become possible with the gadgetry of the modern age for a young person to live in a parallel world, to live a completely separate life with completely wicked and godless influences that are uh, owning so much of the space in their, in their mind. And parents have got to practice stewardship. It is, it is, it is um, you, you remember, I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about, and they'll say it like in a negative way, that, that, that Christian kid, is, they lived a very sheltered life. Mm-hmm. People will say that. They live yeah. a sheltered life. Like, like it's a bad thing. To which my response has always been, you better believe I shelter my children. I, I have put roofs over them. I don't let them sleep outside vulnerable to the elements and all the dangers. No, I provide a house and, and walls and doors. Yes, I shelter my children, but we don't stay in that house. We don't live our entire life. We go out from that house together into a crazy world. But we have that place to return to. And I really believe it is necessary for us to shelter our children. From the assault on their mind and their heart, it is so bad. It's worse now. The, the, the access to the hearts of the young has never been so great. That access is something that we've got to guard. What would you say to parents out there that are struggling with that? Because they don't know anything else other than that now because that's the world we're growing up in. I would say that it's very important for parents to make themselves aware, to spend some time with their kid going to the places that they get, to, to be able to set up the, the device 
whether it's a laptop or an, or an iPad or even just a, a smartphone, to set it up in such a way that none of the history of their internet travels can be deleted and then go where they've gone. That's, that's a very eye-opening and very enlightening experience. You know, obviously, I think it's, it's, it's smarter to get ahead of that and to know just how dangerous a place the world actually is. None of us would let our, our say, our early teenage, or even our teenage kids, we would not allow them to go off to a major city in our nation alone. Because we know the dangers of the kind of world that we live in and the capacity for them to become enslaved, captive, really evil people. Well, in the same way we would not allow them to travel alone, we should not allow them to virtually travel alone. I think it's very important that we recognize the dangers of that world that they could travel in. And we set it up in such a way that they're not alone. We don't allow them to be alone, to travel those places in the uh, World Wide Web, in a World Wide Web of information, and a World Wide Web of images. I think it's important for us to know how dangerous that place actually is. And then um, we don't let them live their lives alone. And you know, one of the, one of the things that, Younger people are prone to do anyways, to isolate themselves. Part of trying to find yourself and your own identity often involves and in, you know, you, you, you develop your own taste in music as a young person. That's not a bad thing. But I, with my children, I've always wanted to be on top of what, who are your musical influences? I want to know that. I want to hear that music. I want you to share that music with me. I want to know that. And I want to know but the, the tendency for a young person to pull their hood up and leave their headphones in and even in the back seat of the family vehicle go off into total isolation, well, that's never been allowed in my house. And I discourage it as a pastor that parents should ban their headphones. That we will uh, all listen together. I want to know what you're, what you're hearing. And what is, what is, it, what, what is moving you right now? What, what songs, what artists, what are they saying? Who, who are soliciting your heart to be an influence. And what kind of influence are we? So I think that those, those things matter. It's a stewardship issue, and we've got to recognize our duty before God to guard these people. Do you, do you think that this will change in the future as the generations continue to grow up? You know, it, it is, um, it's a reality. As one famously said that, we're always so excited about what a new invention is going to do for us that we never stop to consider what it's going to do to us. And every new stage of um, human technology presents great challenges. And, and it's never gotten, it's not gotten better. There's one particular author, Arthur W. Hunt III, who wrote a book called The Vanishing Word. And in The Vanishing Word, he makes the case that um, in the West, in the modern world, the automobile changed how marriage or romantic relationships ever began. <clears throat> the invention of the automobile changed everything. But prior to that, a young man would come to visit a family in order to get acquainted with a young woman and would spend time with the family in a parlor or on a porch, <clears throat> often around uh, musical instruments and conversation. With the advent of the automobile, a young man just pulled up and took a young woman away from the family, and they traveled alone in isolation. In the same way, the Internet and all of the gadgetry and, and the worldwide communications have likewise changed 
how every human relationship begins. And I don't think people are anywhere, I don't think the Christian parents are as aware of how much uh, imagery is now being shared between teens, things that would never have happened a generation ago. Uh, lines that are being crossed, the, the, the revealing of, of one team to another uh, bodily happens through imagery. I, I do think that we're headed for worse times and greater dangers and more advanced technology. And I think it's all the more reason why we should be on top of this. We should recognize our need to disciple our children and be stewards of their minds and their spirits. For people who want to learn more about you, about your church, uh, just about your ministry overall, how do they go about doing that? Well, I, anyone interested to visit our website, which is TC Bangor, that's B-A-N-G-O-R, TC for Calvary Chapel, tcbangor.org. And, uh, all, really, the only thing that's available on there is, is uh, my teaching expositionally through the entire Bible. We have the archive available in And uh, that's the thing we like to point people to and recommend. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll talk to you again on Connections.